Hi. My name is Mike. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the Bible today. We're going to look at um, kind of the third part in a three-part mini-series that uh, we've been doing uh, leading up to, I guess, Advent, which officially starts now, but we'll start acknowledging it uh, next week. So we're finishing up three weeks of uh, what we've been calling Calvary Cork Essentials. And uh, I actually know that there's a couple families that have been missing for the past 14 days. I don't know why, but welcome back. But for those of you that have been missing and that are, are coming back, um, an essential is something that means two different things. An essential is something that's very important, as in you can't go without it. You know, all last year and the past whatever, um, we've been hearing so much about essential workers. An essential worker is a worker that you need, that doesn't get to stay home and work from home, but we need you, so you have to work. You're essential. And essential also means that it permeates so deeply through everything. You could say that it's the essence of something. So here's uh, the past two weeks, and now concluding today, we're talking about three essentials of, uh, of our little church. Things that are very important and things that hopefully permeate through everything that we do. Whether we're in person or online, whether we're big or whether we're small, these are things that are always going to be there. Uh, last week, we talked about how, or two weeks ago rather, how we are, and always have been, and always will be, a Jesus-centered church. Uh, the week with, and, and the previous week, we talked about how we are a Bible-treasuring church. And so since we are Jesus-centered and Bible-treasuring, I believe that necessarily leads us to our third and final, at least for now, essential, which is that we are a humility-pursuing church. So humility-pursuing and here's why. I believe that if Jesus really is central in our church, well, that means that there's no room for any other person or personality to compete for that honored central position. And guys, that's good news. That allows you to just breathe a sigh of relief uh, that neither I nor you nor anyone else needs to feel the weight of being the most important personality in the room, because that position's taken. And if the Bible is treasured in our church, if, if its teachings are valued higher than anything else, if it's the final court of appeals, well, then we can breathe a second sigh of relief. It means that we're not held together by the cohesiveness of our philosophical reasoning, uh, nor the cleverness of our marketing abilities, nor the wisdom of our psychological insight. We have God's very words that lead us, that guide us, and that give direction to us. Did you, do you remember that last verse that Owen read, Isaiah 66, verse 2? It, it, it links together trembling before God's word and those who are humble and contrite in spirit. Uh, being, being in reverent awe of God's word causes, I believe, necessarily a humility of heart. And so I think a church that really grasps those two things, 
will become or will be a humble church. That the the theological truths that we prioritize, well, they're going to have a shaping influence on, on what we do and what kind of Christians we are becoming. Jesus says that where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. And the teachings and the themes of the Christian faith that, that we treasure the most are going to have an impact on the direction and on the temperature of our hearts. And the truth that's heralded most consistently is going to necessarily form a vibe or like an intangible something uh, that happens and permeates even the unplanned and the organic activities of the interactions between the people of the community of our church. And that correlates with the doctrinal convictions that are demonstrated in the organized and the scheduled activities of church life. Okay, that's a lot of, a lot of big words, all right? Let me put it simple, okay? I'm borrowing the words from somebody else. Gospel doctrine creates gospel culture. Ray Ortland puts it this way. Gospel doctrine, which is what we believe, and gospel culture, which is how we act and interact, they don't just coexist by lucky chance. The doctrine creates and sustains the culture. The way that we live together in our churches grows out of what we believe together. So let me just kind of summarize what I'm trying to say. Because doctrinally, we're a Jesus-centered, Bible-treasuring church, culturally, I hope that we will be a humility-pursuing church. Now, this mini-series that we've been doing has been uh, wonderful and and challenging to me. (laughs) Last week, especially so. Uh, If you were here last week, you would have been here as I spoke about how important the Bible is to us and how for us, we believe it's so important to go chapter by chapter and verse by verse through books of the Bible. But yet I wasn't going through a chapter or a verse. I found it to be very like challenging and hard for my little brain to figure out how to talk about something whilst not doing it. But I think we got there. Hopefully Hopefully it made sense. So guys, if that was cognitive dissonance, Well, you ain't seen nothing yet, because now you are going to see a proud man speak about the importance of humility for the next few minutes. Now, I don't say that as like like a a boast, or even the end of the story. Um, I'm proud, but I don't want to be. I'm proud, and I am pursuing humility. But I haven't arrived. I'm not trying to give the impression that I have. Uh, That's why I'm saying that we're not a humble church but we're a humility-pursuing church. We're going after it. So with that in mind, let's pray. So Lord, we are thankful to have heard your word to us. Um, We're glad for the opportunity to have uh, have sung together, and we look forward to more of the same. Lord, we're so honored that we get to uh, celebrate uh, communion uh, together in, in a few moments. But now as we speak about what it means to pursue humility, to flee from pride, um, Spirit of God, continue to work. Please, please, we need you so much. And this type of thing really only acknowledges how much we need you. So Spirit, help us to love what you love and to 
be disgusted by what disgusts you. I pray that the pride that we're so familiar with can, by your grace, seem abhorrent to us, and the humility that we often look down on can be treasured and pursued in our hearts and through the life of our church. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the first question. Here's what I want to talk about. What is humility, and why are we pursuing it? So if we want to be a humility-pursuing church, probably is worthwhile to, you know, define the terms a little bit, right? Uh, what, what is it? And before I define humility, or, or try to define humility, what I'm going to do first is I'm going to talk about its opposite. What's the opposite of humility? It's pride. So I'm going to talk about pride a little bit, okay? But uh, so the opposite of humility is pride, which can be described as like spiritual arrogance, um, or an old-fashioned way of saying it is haughtiness, or a sense of superiority. And you know what? The Bible goes to war against that. Because we serve a, a humble God, and I'll talk about that more uh, later on, but this humble God has seen pride wreak havoc in his good creation. And so God is specifically at work blessing and honoring humility where it appears and opposing pride and arrogance amongst his people. Uh, John Stott says that at every stage of our Christian development and discipleship, pride is our greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. And so let's get a quick glance at our enemy before we're introduced to our friend. Here's some things about pride. Pride is uh, both destructive and deceitful. Now, much could be said on each of these things, uh, but uh, if you're familiar with the term or the concept of the seven deadly sins, uh, you know, early Christians in the, the fourth and fifth centuries kind of uh, collected together what they believe uh, to be the seven kind of worst sins, and pride takes first place. Uh, in fact, some of the uh, ancient, you know, church fathers and mothers um, illustrated the seven deadly sins as a tree with six branches. And those six branches would be, you know, uh, lust and gluttony and wrath, etc. And the trunk was, was pride. Every other deadly sin grows out of the foundational sin of pride. It's kind of a tweak, maybe if you're familiar with John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Think of like the perverted version of that, where pride is the vine, and every other sin is the branches. And, and the reason why they exist is because they abide in the vine of pride. So think of it as the trunk of the tree where destructive branches grow. Think of it as the fertile soil that violence grows out of. Think of it as like the hatchery where scaly monstrosities slither out of their, shell, their shells. So pride is destructive. 
And pride is deceptive, deceitful. Pride is deceitful. Um, Rarely is a proud person able to self-diagnose. As far as I know, there's no at-home antigen test to stick up your nose and then at the end, 15 minutes later, to realize you tested positive for pride. (laughs) It's hard to see it or recognize it in yourself. And that's why the word and the spirit and the community are so important. In our battle against pride and in our pursuit of humility. So that's a little bit on on some of the characteristics of pride. I think it's also important to say what pride isn't. Pride is not having a healthy, confident self-image. That is not necessarily the same as what the Bible talks about as pride. I think in our day and age when like mental health has taken a quite a few blows over the past couple of years, and many young people and many older people believe themselves to be both unloved and unlovable, or when men and women struggle with secret shame or hidden guilt. uh, Let me just say the truth is to my my brothers and my sisters, uh, fellow believers, uh, you are actually incredibly loved. Uh, created by your Father in heaven with tender intentionality, uh, redeemed by Christ with his precious blood, sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And, And beyond all that, whatever else we think is wrong with us, you know, Jesus says, or it said of Jesus in Hebrews, that he is not ashamed to call us brothers. So you are beloved by God. And in Christian vocabulary, sometimes we use language of like, I'm just a poor, filthy sinner saved by grace. Well, I mean, yeah, it's kind of true, but that's not the whole story. You're made righteous and you're precious in your father's eyes. So pride isn't the same as, as just having a positive self-image. Uh, and it isn't the same as having like a sense of satisfaction of a job that was well done. You know, you could be pleased that you did a good job cooking a meal or organizing events, or setting up the Christmas tree, or getting the house decorated. You can look at it and be like, yeah, that's good. That isn't biblical pride. Again, it could start there and balloon out into something, but that initial impulse of saying, you know, I see that it is good. That's actually kind of a godly thing, to look at what you've made and say, it is good. Mark Woods has this comment. There's a difference between a healthy self-awareness and a damaging focus on our own interior lives. Uh, Being humble means losing our obsession with our own feelings, needs, and desires, and shifting our focus onto other people. It doesn't mean that what's going on in our own minds and hearts isn't important, but we don't have the starring roles in our own lives. Challenging. So here's some more things about what pride is. That's maybe what it isn't. Pride's a declaration of independence against God. Uh, maybe in a secular sense, I think that's um, articulated very well by the, the poem Invictus, which includes the lines, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. Or there also is a Christian version of this, 
The Christian independence from God, well, it looks a lot like prayerlessness. We don't, the things that we don't bring before God in prayer are the things that we're saying, it's fine, I got this, I can handle this. I'll come to you when there's something that I can't handle. So pride is a declaration of independence from God. Pride is a spirit of ungratefulness to God. Maybe connected to that or flow out of that. The things that we have, well, we think, well, why shouldn't I have them? I deserve them. We worked hard, and this is what we achieved. Without a passing thought to thank the one who gave you strength to accomplish these things. Or esteeming yourself better than other people. Now, whether that's based on things like ethnicity or nationality or gender or age or ability or education or achievement, the sort of thing that says, I'm better than you because I don't, or I'm better than you because you are, that is pride. Some people even display their pride by looking down on others because of their accent. The past uh, while, I've been just like binge listening to like parenting podcasts. I just kind of, uh, you know, I got three kids with three different stages and uh, I've been listening to a couple of them. And you know how it is, parents. You just kind of realize, you kind of think like, wait, am I ruining everything? <laughs> like, am I making a horrible mistake? And so trying to like find. And amongst the ones that I'm listening to, one of them that I kind of dabbled in was uh, a news talk podcast um, based, up in, uh, based up in Dublin. Uh, they have a kind of little parenting podcast that I've listened to. And they're kind of really short episodes. People write in with their questions and then get kind of like five or six minutes of like quick little um, advice. Uh, the one that caught my, my ear initially was a parent writing in concerned because their daughter was developing an American accent. <laughs> that she was watching too many American cartoons and that it was influencing the way that she was talking. And so she was looking for advice on how to fix this uh, terrible disability. <laughs> and so I, I noticed that one. And then if you scroll down even more, there's another episode. And this one was a similar themed, and again, remember, this is a kind of a Dublin-based show. This is someone saying, help, my son is developing a Cork accent. <laughs> Uh, they have a childminder from Cork, and the childminder is influencing them, to, and so they're looking for advice as to how to fix those things. So anyway, those are some lighthearted ones, but certainly we can imagine other kinds of prejudicial pride, right? So now getting to the, the core of it. What exactly is humility then? What is humility? Well. Jackie Hill Perry puts it quite simply, humility is simply agreeing with reality. Now again, I've been reading all week. I mean, I've been thinking my whole life about what is humility. And then sometimes you stumble upon somebody who's able to, with like five syllables, say more than I could in a whole series of sermons. <laughs> it's agreeing with humanity. So that means that on the one hand, we're, sorry, it's agreeing with reality. See, that's the thing. See, I'm not so, me no good with words. <laughs> Humility is simply agreeing with reality. Uh, that, that means two things. On the one hand, it means not thinking too highly of yourself. 
And then, and then very briefly, let me also just say, not morosely thinking too negatively of yourself as well. Humility is agreeing with reality. Now, here's something I discovered that I actually was really excited about for multiple levels. Um, the, the word humility comes from a Latin word, hummus. <laughs> and as a, as a lover of hummus, man, was I excited about that. Turns out um, the Latin word hummus, it means like earth, soil. And, and so a, a life of humility or the Christian virtue of humility means to be like earthy. It means to be like grounded. It means to have your feet like planted firmly on the ground. Or just big picture, agreeing with reality. So it doesn't mean that it's like a certain style of dress or a certain tone of voice. It doesn't mean that you get awkward anytime someone pays you a compliment. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, brother. Oh, oh praise the, you know, like it just means that you just like agree with reality. You could say, yeah, the meal was good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, yes, the tree does look nice. Thank you for your compliments. Um, it means that we can agree with reality. We could be with our feet planted on the ground. Uh, I, I've mentioned this before, but there is a Puritan prayer book that I've been using for more than a decade called The Valley of Vision. And uh, it's written by, you know, older, sad, dead men called the Puritans. And they had this wonderful way of, like, finding... Uh, you know, just something grim and everything. But however, I noticed there was something on one of the prayers having to do with humility that I just actually really loved. Uh, it might be on the screen in a moment. It says, keep me ever mindful of my natural state, but let me not forget my heavenly title or the grace that can deal with my every sin. Now, again, the Puritans are well-known, and even the Valley of Vision is well-known for highlighting not just sinful practices, but also sinful motives. And I think it's valuable to consider those things. But they say, inasmuch as we are focusing on the things that we do wrong, may we not forget what God calls us, the title we have from heaven, and may we not forget the empowering grace from our Lord Jesus to get us through these things as well. And... When I think of also somebody that kind of gets this in a way that is exemplary or model for us uh, is somebody by the name of, of Patrick, St. Patrick of Ireland. Um, he starts off his like autobiography, the Confessio. Um, he starts off by saying, my name is Patrick. Maybe some of you know this. I am a sinner. I'm a simple country person. I am the least of all believers. Don't read that yet. Close your eyes. <laughs> I am, a, I am a sinner, a simple country person. I'm the least of all believers. I am looked down upon by many. Then a few paragraphs later, he says something else. Although I am imperfect in many of my ways, I want my brothers and my relations to know what I'm really like so they can see what inspires my life. Now you can glance up. Oh, it's gone. Now it can come back up. Here's the quoted part. He says this. I am first and foremost unlearned, an unlettered exile who cannot plan for the future. But this much I know for sure. I was like a stone lying deep in the mud. Then he who is mighty came and in his mercy, he not only pulled me out, but lifted me up and placed me at the top of the wall. I must therefore speak publicly in order to thank the Lord for such wonderful gifts, gifts for the present and for the eternity which the human mind cannot measure. 
Now, Patrick gets it. I think Patrick really sees each of those things in the opening paragraph and a, and a few bits later. And then even in this one, he is so quick to say, yeah, I am a sinner. I am the least of all believers. I'm uneducated. But here's the thing. God loves me. God's using me. He's used me now. I believe he's going to use me in the future. And what an example, I believe, what this definition of humility really looks like. It's simply agreeing with reality. Yes, he says, there's things about me I don't even like. But yet God has been so pleased to use me, and I believe that he will continue in the future. I mean, we sang about this just a little bit ago, right? We sang about how, like, I'm already loved, I know who I am, I know what you've spoken, and that is enough. So again, if the stuff that we talked about last Sunday, if we really are Bible treasuring, if we really want to believe what this book says, well, there's some negative stuff in there about us, absolutely. And there's incredible hopeful things about every single person in this room. So we could say, I know what you've said, and I believe that. And so, considering like the vocabulary around this week's talk, or this, this installment of Calvary Cork Essential, um, you know, we kind of landed on the phrase that we're a humility-pursuing uh, church. But you know, there's other candidates, other, other ways of putting this. You know, thinking about the idea of like, well, we could say that we're like a truth-telling church because we want to be a church that like tells the truth and that also is like honest about God and is honest about ourselves, even as Lance said earlier on, that we want to be transparent with God and transparent with each other. That kind of builds into this concept. Or uh, someone else suggested that we're like an authentic community because authenticity means like a lack of pretense. And just an agreement about, like, we're going to call spades spades. We're going to be honest about who we are. And I think this other vocabulary is valuable. It builds into, like, a composite structure of what it means for us to be a humility-pursuing community. It's important to us because it's important to Jesus. And so it should be important to his people, especially if we want to center our lives around him. You know, when Jesus disclosed himself, when he explained who he is, he says, you know, that I am gentle and lowly of heart. Uh, that is the time when he speaks about who he is. He discloses that he's gentle and that he is lowly. Most other translations say he is humble of heart. That's who he is. And not only is that who he is, that's like first out of his mouth when he talks to us about who we are, what life in his kingdom looks like. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is, of course, is the whole biblical theme. I'm going to rattle through a bunch of verses really quick. There's slides for some or most of them. I forgot. We'll find out. Proverbs 3, towards the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Psalm 138, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Micah 6, he has told you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And then Isaiah 66, um, the first part, the first verse is saying, like, essentially, I am so big and mighty, I don't need anything. There's no lack in me. But verse 2 says, 
but this is the one that I look upon. This is what catches my eye. He who is humble and contrite in heart, who trembles at my word. James 4 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And finally, 1 Peter 5 says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards each other. For God opposes the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. So we love God's grace. We need it. And if he says that he gives it to the humble... Well, then let's do all that we can to pursue what that is. Like, if it's a hot day and there is, like, like uh, water is, is coming down from a fountain, you want to get where that water is coming out. So you want to orient yourself to catch the water that's coming down from the fountain on you. So we want to position ourselves to re- receive as much as possible, and we do that by pursuing humility. How do we do that? How do we, at Calvary Cork, pursue humility? Here's some thoughts. (coughs) Most of them are kind of connected to little stories. Uh, We pursue humility um, by not over-promising what we can do. Uh, You know, uh, we have a limitless God, and he is almighty. He is all-powerful. Thinking of what... uh, in Aladdin, it says, phenomenal cosmic power. Um, sorry, but he is not like a genius. Let's, never mind. I'll just stick to my notes. Um, he's big. He's, a, he's amazing. And guys, we're good at like three things. <laughs> and he's good at everything. And we can do a little bit, kind of. Um, and, and I've had like dozens of conversations over the past 16 years. We didn't kind of mention it much, but in October, you know, Calvary Cork turned 16. So happy sweet 16. Uh, You guys look great. Um, um, So over the past 16 years, there's been dozens of conversations that I've had that go a little something like this. When there are people that come from, let's say, like a a Christian background or religious background, and, and if they're like leaving an expression of... Yeah, one local church and visiting Calvary Cork and, and sussing us out. Um, oftentimes we talk and, and people want to give like their spiritual autobiography, which is really valuable and, and so, so great. But to talk about like what the Lord has been doing in their lives. Um, and, and sometimes uh, that involves like hurt from previous churches or previous expressions. And, and there's, you know, there's stories of, of pain and harm that come from that. And, and, I, and I listen, and, and, and I've said this dozens of times. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but people in this room have heard me say this. Hey, listen, it sounds like you've experienced some harm and some disappointment and some hurt. Um, I'll be honest. We're going to disappoint you too. We just are. We don't want to. We'll try not to. We're going to postpone it for as long as we can, uh, but we're going to let you down. Um, it probably won't be in those areas that you spoke about. Probably it will be in something else. But I want people to, to come into this community knowing that, like, we have problems just like any normal human family. A supernatural family of God has problems as well. There's one perfect leader, and underneath him we're all going to fall short. So as long as you understand that, I think we're going to be okay. So as a humility-pursuing church, we don't want to overpromise. 
what we can do. Now, we certainly don't want to underpromise what God can do. However, realizing we are limited and finite. Secondly, as a humility-pursuing church, uh, it means that like we we allow, <laughs> we want to encourage asking for help. Um, kind of connected to what I just said, knowing that there's one perfect, sinless Savior, and you're not Him, that allows you and all of us room to sigh, to catch a breath, and to ask for help when we need it. Uh, to say, I'm overcommitted, I need a break. To say, I'm over my head in life and I need some help, or I don't know the answers, can, can someone teach me or can someone help me? I remember, this is um, years ago in our, our previous location, <clears throat> um, somebody was, was waiting around after service for a, for a word. <clears throat> and uh, this fella was a little sheepish and was embarrassed to ask what he was going to ask. <clears throat> and he says, hey, so... Do, do Christians ever go to counseling? And, like, how, how many times should I go without it becoming, like, a bad thing? Or, like, I just kind of want to know, because I'm, I'm really thinking about it. I don't know if I'm tempted to go to counseling. Or, like, like, do Christians go to counseling? And I'm like, we sure do, bro. Here's my counselor's number. Here's the therapist. You know, this person has helped me a lot. And, and if that one's too far away, here's my backup counselor. Um, this is something like, yes, absolutely. We are allowed to ask for help. Um, and so I think, again, like part of a humility pursuing uh, church means that like we just realize that, again, whether it means professional help or just like the openness and honesty to ask for help from one another. Uh, we don't have to pretend we have everything together. And that flows perfectly into the next thing. As a humility-seeking church, we have permission to admit when we get it wrong. Now, has anyone ever heard of Christianity before? Like, the whole premise of this religion is that we're wrong, you know? <laughs> that there's something wrong with us and that we're in need of rescue, okay? That's, that is Christianity 101. Like, R.E. would have taught you that, you know? Um, however, there is this thing that happens uh, in, in Christian churches, in religious settings, I, I hope not in ours, uh, where the idea is, yeah, yeah, I used to get things wrong, and then I asked Jesus into my heart, and now everything is fine. I confessed my sin once, and now I'm handling everything out, everything else from here on out. Um, you know, I was a poor, miserable wretch, then I got saved, and now it's like the, the Lego movie, you know? Everything is awesome. Um, we have permission to admit when we get it wrong. Humility allows us to do that. And finally for this section, as a humility-seeking church, like, we're able to work alongside other churches instead of considering ourselves as working against them. Uh, a proud church has to vilify every other church in town in order to demand and to maintain loyalty. And guys, that's not what we're all about. Um, here in, in Cork City and County, um, you know, there's... 
There's so few committed, devoted, wholehearted disciples of Jesus. Uh, now, I've only lived here 18 years. There's people in this room that have lived here for a lot longer. And you know that in 2021, there's like so much more than 1991 or 1961. I, I know that the Spirit of God has been at work uh, in recent decades and in, in, in seen many people come to faith, many churches being planted. It's a wonderful expression. We think, that's, we think that is absolutely great. We're still a fraction of the population, right? Speaking about pride and humility, you know, I remember back, back in the day, uh, back in like before March 2020, you know, um, that, that different era that we lived in, uh, as our numbers were, were climbing, I remember sometimes feeling a bit of pride. Hey, hey, we're doing pretty good. Yeah, this is a lot of people. We had to put out extra chairs. Whoa. And that, that pride kind of rises up. And then you know what cures that pride? Math. <laughs> a bit of math. Taking that number and, and dividing it by the population of Cork City. And then adding Cork County. And then realizing, oh man, there is so much work to do. We're not even a percent. Not even close to a percent. And so abandoning the parochial attitude of like, well, this is our little thing and this is them, or even worse, imagining that our brothers and sisters and other Christian expressions are like our rivals or competitors for the market share. Like, good grief. Good grief. And so uh, we, we want to uh, just continue or work towards being like a humility-seeking church, and so that's expressed itself, you know, in recent ways. We're like, you know, we donated to, like, Passage West Baptist Church, you know, because they're getting started. Uh, you know, I sure know when you get started, it's really hard. So, like, we, we gave this, like, gift towards, like, this, this Baptist church starting an area that, like, could go for it, you know. Over the years, you know, we've, I've done, like, some, like, preaching training with, like, the Kerrigan evangelical Anglican parish. Um, we've had these like overlaps with like our brothers and sisters. We just think it's great. Humility allows us to do that and it frees us from looking at other churches or communities as rivals. Um, and, and here's a conversation that I've had and I've overheard some of you having it with like, let's say people who move to Cork, either if it's for university or if it's for a job. Um, someone shows up here uh, an early conversation is going to be like this. Hey, listen, you know, there's, there's some good churches around Cork City and County. You know, truth be told, I think we're one of them, <laughs> but we're not the only one. Here's like kind of a list of some other churches you should check out. Uh, and, and again, I've said this to some of you. You've heard this, and you've stuck around. Hey, that's, that's great. Um, but, I, but I've encouraged many people to say, you know what, like, maybe you should check out these other communities before you commit to this one. Like, pray, seek the Lord, see what's right from you. And so again, as a humility-seeking church, we wanted to work alongside other churches instead of treating them like competition or rivals. Okay, landing the plane. These are some things that are important to us. Here's how they've worked themselves out. And we look forward to the future of more of the same. But the reason why humility is important to us, I just said it earlier on, is because humility is important to Jesus. Um, I mentioned earlier on that we serve a humble God. And 
the humility of God is on display in the season of Advent, of which this Sunday is the first Sunday. Uh, Churches around the world commemorate that the light of the world stepped down into darkness. And as we consider God being born in a stable, entering his humble life as a servant, how can anything but humility be an option for us? We who want to be centered on Christ and following him, if humility suited him, then may it be a lifelong pursuit of us. There is a shrine or a building in present-day Bethlehem, and it is allegedly over the traditional location of that stable. And, you know, it's, who knows, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but it's there, and, uh, and it's a, a location where uh, pilgrims visit, and it's been built upon, like, layer upon layer of flooring. So the, the floor has gotten high, but the archway has remained the same. That's how it is if you keep adding layer and layer of flooring upon something. And so when a pilgrim wants to view the place on earth where God entered, they have to stoop down and get low and nearly kind of like hunch over or crawl through in order to see the sight where God humbled himself and became one of us. Isn't that appropriate? Isn't that a wonderful like, glimpse into like, how our heart should be considering the humility of God? And if his life began, you know, humble and stooping uh, on our behalf, he began like stooping low, his life on earth ironically ended with him being lifted high. But in that act, even of him being physically lifted high, it's the ultimate act of humiliation and subjugation nailed to a Roman cross. Remember the reading from Philippians chapter 2? Verse 8 says, Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that very act of humble self-sacrifice is the means by which you and I have been or could be forgiven of our selfish, sinful pride, of our arrogance. And out of that forgiveness will hopefully flow a life of humble gratitude. Because Jesus, in all of his divine glory, was not selfish and proud, but was humble and generous. And and he goes low for us. And, And we tend to exalt ourselves, but it says that he made himself nothing. We act like we're big deals, but he stooped down for us. And the humble God comes and redeems us with his precious blood, because he loves even proud sinners. And we share his glory. He shares his glory with us. And all it costs is our foolish ego. We give it to him, and he accepts us, forgives us, cleanses us. And with that in mind, I'm finally going to 
end this terribly awkward discussion where a proud man talks to a bunch of proud people about humility um, by pointing towards <clears throat> the truly humble Lord. We're going to wrap this up. We're going to transition into a time of responsive worship and communion. So as we consider the humility of Christ coming down and being lifted up, what a great Sunday to take communion. So Kian and the musicians are going to lead us in uh, two songs, I believe. And the first song is called Remembrance. And it's, it's calling to mind the themes of Jesus's humble self-sacrifice. And the communion elements are on your seats. I know they're hard to open, but, but persevere. Um, if you are a follower of Jesus, um, then you're invited uh, during this first song to take the bread and to take the cup and with a thankful heart to remember the humble sacrifice of Jesus. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you're investigating this, like you are so welcome uh, to, to be here on this Sunday. And what I want to invite you, I want to invite you to become a Christian, to follow Jesus, to turn to the humble God and surrender your pride into his nail-scarred hands. You're invited to talk to him in prayer and then to talk to one of us about what it means to begin a life of following him. So I'm going to hand it over to Kean and the musicians after, after this prayer. So Lord, we are uh, astounded afresh at, of all of the things that could be said about you. Um, your strength, your power, your might, your wisdom, uh, that, that humble would also be an accurate word to describe you. What a surprise. What a surprise. And what is also surprising is that when we look at ourselves, small, finite, limited, broken, oftentimes humble is not a word that we use to describe ourselves. So Lord, I pray you'd readjust us I pray that, um, that through this uh, church community that you would allow us to continue pursuing humility, that the things that we love, that the, the doctrine that we preach and hold to, that it would filter through and form us into the kinds of Christians who are humble and gentle as you, Lord Jesus, are. Thank you that you came as a baby. Lord, thank you that you died as a man. Um, that you rose in power and triumph. And Lord, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Amen.